James, and I know you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is almost as bad as Acts, right? It's taking forever to get, no, no, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not uh, quite as long as Acts. Uh, but we are in, in chapter 5, the final chapter today, and, and I'm excited about this um, sermon uh, because I've titled it Some Final Thoughts, because here we see that James is kind of uh, putting some thoughts together that maybe aren't even connected, aren't even really related. They're all good, they're all things that I... And so I'm thinking if he's writing uh, you know, to these uh, Jews that are scattered abroad, uh, I think he's probably wrapping it up in his mind. Of course, God's Spirit is, is, uh, is, is really influencing him and inspiring him to write what he's writing. Uh, but I'm just thinking, in his own mind, he's probably thinking, oh, there's a couple more things I want to remind you. Oh, I want to remind, remind you about this, and I want to remind you about this, and I want to remind you about this. So it kind of is a little bit disjunct uh, here in chapter 5, because there's a lot of different ideas. Uh, but I think uh, it'll make some sense, and I think it'll be a great, uh, some great topics for your discussion in your community groups. So as he begins to wrap up his letter uh, to the Jewish Christians, uh, we're going to see that he's, he's going to really kind of start out differently and that he's going to talk about wealth and not for just Christians, but for everybody. Uh, so as you remember, when he started this letter, it was supposed to be kind of a circular, a circular letter that is sent out to people of, of all churches and different places uh, for the Jewish Christians who, who had given their lives to Christ. And so let's just read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and we'll see uh, here that James is saying that wealth brings about spiritual challenges. Let's read it together. It says here, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So we see here that wealth brings about really some pretty big spiritual challenges. Uh, he's, like I said, he's talking to people here that are wealthy, uh, and probably mostly unbelievers because of the behavior he's talking about. But I think he's also warning the church uh, that, that we need to be cautious about these things. Uh, we're going to see basically plainly in verse 7 that he's shifting his, his focus to believers in verse 7. So verses 1 through 6 are for everyone. First of all, he's not saying that it's bad or sinful to acquire money uh, through hard work. He's certainly not saying that it's wrong or bad or sinful to have money. And he's not saying it's wrong or bad or sinful to spend money. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that money is sinful or evil in any way. It's, it's really amoral. And what I mean by amorality is that it has no morality in and of itself. It only reflects morality when it is used and the purpose for which it is used. Uh, and I was going to get a big butcher knife and bring it in here, but I thought I'd scare some kids, so I didn't want to do that. I thought, well, I'll never go back to church again. Uh, but if, uh, you know, if you take a knife, a knife can be used uh, for a very good thing. It can be used to prepare a meal. It can be used to prepare a meal to serve others. It can be used for very good things. It can also be used for very bad things. And so a knife in and of itself laying on the table has no morality to it. It only has morality based on how it's used. Money is exactly the same thing. It, in and of itself, has no morality, but certainly how it's used 
reflects morality. Uh, being wealthy does bring about spiritual challenges that really the poor do not deal with. Now, I know some of you are thinking already, whew, I dodged a bullet on this one. Look around the room. I'm not one of the wealthy people here, <laughs> so I don't have to listen, right? Well, you may not be the wealthiest person in this room, but by the world's standards, folks, everybody in this room is wealthy. In fact, we hear in the news all the time about the richest 1% and the elitism that surrounds them. And of course, in, in our news cycle, that generally is speaking of people here in the United States, the, the upper 1%. But on a global scale, if we think about this, on a global scale, you only need an annual salary of just $34,000 to be in the world's highest earning 1%. So folks, it would do us good to at least consider uh, the concerns that James is talking about. Because by the world's standards, probably most of the people in this room are wealthy. You may not be in the top 1%, but I'll bet you're in the top 2 or 3 or 4. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, which is my personal favorite holiday. And I know that you may say, oh, you know, what's wrong with you, Michael? It should be Christmas or Easter because of the emphasis on Jesus. Well, uh, let me just say that... that uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because it helps of who I am and how God has blessed me. And uh, uh, folks, there are thousands and thousands of blessings. And if you run out, in your mind, if you run out of all the ways that God has blessed you, I want to give you a little exercise. And that exercise is this. Begin to list on your phone somewhere all the things that haven't happened to you because of God's blessing. And you will find that there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of blessings that you had never considered before. You know, we, we, we think about, hey, I, I, I'm grateful that my, my three kids and my four grandsons are all healthy. But when I begin to list all of the diseases they've never had, I realize that's not one blessing. That's thousands of blessings. And so this week... I want you to really focus on how God has blessed you and how lucky and blessed, not lucky, how just blessed we are uh, to, to have just by God's sovereignty been born in this country and been born to the parents we have, whether your parents were good or bad. Uh, you are here. You are still alive. You have survived. And um, it, folks, we just need to, that, that just changes our perspective on living. And I think that will help us to avoid the challenges that we're going to see now in this passage. The first challenge that James talked about in this passage was dependence on riches really bring misery to your life. Here James is saying we should be weeping and howling at the miseries that wealth is bringing to us. Look what it says there in James chapter 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Why are they coming upon us? Why, why are they so bad? Well, most of us, if we were really being honest... We would think, or we do think, that more money will make our lives easier and better. Oh, you know, if I could just get ahead in my bills, if I was only a couple of months ahead, if, if, if I didn't have these bills, things would be going so much better. If I just had more money, if I just got a better raise, if I just got a better job, if we just somehow acquired more, things would be better in our life. James is just saying the opposite. He's saying that our wealth 
should cause us to weep and howl like an animal. I mean, this is like a, this is like a howling wolf for the other reasons that he's going to express to us here in just a minute. Fact is, folks, money does not make our lives better. God does. Money doesn't make our lives more rewarding. God does. Money does not make our relationships better. God does. He wants us to have the right perspective on money, and it doesn't always make our lives better or easier. In fact, it makes our lives more complicated and more difficult to keep the right perspective on life. You know, when I was a poor college student, and I really had virtually nothing, except my parents paid for my room and board at college, I had, could go and eat, eat a meal, but I didn't pay any bills, because I was just doing my thing. I was going to college, doing my, doing my classroom stuff. I, I worried so much less about money when I had nothing. And, and it seems like the more that we acquire, the more we worry, the more we try to move it, the more we try to figure it out, the, the more complicated it becomes. And now James is going to share with us a few reasons why we should weep and howl because we are, in a sense, especially worldwide, wealthy. First, wealth is fleeting. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 says this, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now, James talks specifically about three ways that people in his day were wealthy. The three things that people had in his day that, to, to really show that they were wealthy was uh, grain or crops, uh, really fancy clothing, which you couldn't, you know, you couldn't go down to the Gap and get, well, I guess you don't get the Gap, gap and you don't get fancy clothes at the Gap, but wherever you go to get fancy clothes, they couldn't go down there and get them. You can tell where I shop, right? And then, and then gold and silver or jewels, things like that. Now, what he says here is very interesting. He says, the grain that you've been collecting, it's all going to rot eventually. The clothes that you've been hoarding, they're going to be eaten by moths. And the gold and the silver, they will corrode or rust. Now, it's interesting. Gold and silver don't rust. I don't know if you knew that, but they don't rust. So why does he say that? It's a word picture. Remember, James has been giving us all these word pictures. What he's saying is, guys, this isn't going to last. It's not going to last. It may last past your lifetime, but you aren't going to spend it then. So this is, you're storing up all this stuff. And it doesn't help you saying the very things that we spend our whole lives acquiring will be worth nothing somewhere in our lives. Sometime in the future, every single thing that you have saved for, every single thing that you have worked hard to purchase, every single thing that you have, have really slaved away to get will be worthless. It'll either be worthless to you because it'll rot away, as he's saying, or you'll die, and it'll still be worthless to you. Now, it might be worth something to your kids, but it, they're going to die, and it's going to be worthless to them. So the reality, folks, is he's wanting us to see here, listen, don't put your trust in, in, in wealth, because it's fleeting. It's fleeting. Then he says, wealth brings temptation of power. Look at verse 4. It says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud... They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, I, I guess if you were a poor person, you could defraud people too, but the reality is uh, you wouldn't be hiring anybody if you were poor. Here we see the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. 
And folks, this happens. I mean, you know that. See, the poor can't do anything about it. You know, if, they take, if a rich person takes advantage of a poor person, a poor person can't really do anything about it. Even in our society, if you're really dirt poor, you can't even file a lawsuit. The only thing you can do is cry out to God. That's it. God, help me. But when he says that their cries have reached the ears of the Lord, what he's saying there, folks, is listen. God's listening. God's listening. If you're using your wealth to take advantage of others and they cry out to God, you better pay attention because God is listening to their cries. With wealth comes at least the temptation to use that wealth to take advantage of others. We see that he also says that trust in wealth always disappoints. In verse 5, he says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now, I love the word picture he uses here. He doesn't say, Your indulgences have fattened up your bellies. (laughs) But what he says is, Your indulgences have fattened up your heart. Because it's not your bellies that are full, but it's your hearts are full of this desire for wealth. He's saying that the wealthy put their trust in their riches, and they live to fulfill their own pleasures. Now, if we are truly in the 1% of the wealthiest people worldwide, we should perhaps think about this. Do we spend the vast majority of our wealth on our own pleasures and our own comforts? Or do we live with an open hand, giving to provide for the needs of others and the advancement of the kingdom of God? Now, we're coming up towards the end of the year, and I know some of you will be doing your taxes in the first couple of weeks of the year, as soon as you get your W-2 or whatever tax forms you need. Some of you will be doing like I am on April the 14th and be saying, hey, I've been praying this whole time. Jesus will come back before I have to file these, and, and you'll wait till the end. I, I know it'll be a different... But it would be interesting anyway at the end of the year for us to look back at everything we've spent over the year and say, how much of this has been spent on me and my family and how much of this has been spent on the advancement of the kingdom of God and on others? You see, as wealthy as we are, the reality is even those of us in this room probably spend the majority on ourselves we don't spend it on the advancement of the kingdom of God and we don't spend it to provide for the needs of others something to think about the last thing he says about wealth is that it's used for oppression or it can be used to oppress others in verse 6 he says you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you Now, this is a step above taking advantage of somebody, folks. He's saying, hey, look, some of you have used your wealth to oppress people, even even kill them because of your wealth. The wealthy use their riches to squelch the lives and freedoms of others. We see this most often in corrupt governments around the world. But we also see it when the wealthiest of the wealthy commit crimes and then just get away with it because of their wealth and influence. See, the reality is, folks, what James is trying to help us understand is that there are some spiritual challenges that come with being wealthy. 
And while we may not think of ourselves as wealthy, the reality is, in the history of the world, the people in this room are probably among the most wealthy ever. Well, there are a few that are above us. I, I get that. But where, where our perspective is so skewed by our surroundings that we don't even understand people in the rest of the world. But James wants us to understand that our wealth does bring about spiritual challenges. Folks, it's not sinful or bad, but it's challenging to be wealthy and to use our wealth wisely. So I want you to think about this, and I want you to talk about it in your community groups this week, uh, how we can be better, how we can live more like this and less like this. Then James switches topics, and he kind of switches gears here, and he speaks directly to the believers in verses 7 and 8. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, the word brothers is the switch, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the earthly and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I, I just love this passage. First of all, it supports completely what we sang about this morning. You know, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Before I have to do my taxes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Not before Christmas, but after that and before tax season, come quickly. He's saying, look, we should be, we should be patiently waiting, patiently waiting. But, he says, while you're patiently waiting, do something really important. He says, establish your hearts. That word establish means to, to get into a foundation. It, it would be like putting a pillar into concrete and pouring the concrete around it so that that pillar uh, just stays there forever. I mean, it's permanent. He's saying establish your hearts. Get it in the concrete, folks, so that whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or next week or next month or if you patiently wait and you pass away on this earth before he comes back, your heart is still established. How foolish is it to try and wait and watch all the signs and hopefully make a decision to give over your life to Jesus the day before he comes back? Oh, oh I'm going I'm to live for myself and then right before I think he's going to come back, I'll commit my life to him. You know, how foolish is that? Terribly foolish. Because we don't really know when it's going to happen. Oh, we can see signs and there's, but folks, I, I believe very strongly that every single prophecy in the New Testament that has to take place before Jesus comes back is done. They are, they are fulfilled. And so uh, uh, it, it's important uh, for us to establish our hearts now as we patiently wait on the Lord. Then, I think it's interesting that James repeats himself. He says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Remember in, verse, or in chapter 4, he talked about not criticizing or judging one another. He had a whole, whole you know, paragraph on it. Talked about how important that was not to do that. He wants to remind us here. Now, I think it's interesting. Whenever you read the scriptures, anytime God repeats himself, he's doing that for a reason. He's not forgetful. He hasn't forgotten what he wrote in the previous chapter. God repeats things because he wants to say, guys, I want you to get this. 
When my parents repeated things to me, it's because I was hard-headed and I didn't listen. When I repeated things to my children, that was the reason why. It wasn't because I just, you know, I, I say that pretty nice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear that again. It wasn't why I did it. Like, you aren't hearing me. You aren't getting it. I want you to get this. Folks, he wants us to get this. Don't criticize and judge one another. And in fact, he's talking very specifically in this passage about believers only. He said, brothers, brothers and sisters, do not do this to one another. Don't judge each other. We need to be careful not to do that. And it's hard. We talked about that. If you haven't, we're here. You can go back to our, uh, uh, our website uh, at bogkc.com and hear that previous sermon in chapter 4 about that and, and get you know, more detail. Then in verse 10 to 11, he says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so he says here, remain persistent in following Christ. Remain steadfast. Steadfast is persistent. It's that whole thing of being established again. It's being rock solid in following Jesus. And he brings up, of course, he's writing to, to Jewish Christians here. He brings up Job. Now, if you don't know the story of Job, I want to encourage you uh, this week to go back and just read the book of Job. I think it's a fascinating book. Uh, there were a lot of things that growing up in church, I, I heard about Job, and I, I knew he was a guy who was pretty steadfast in his faith. But there were some really cool things about that whole story I never did hear or never did get. Um, maybe they told me and I just didn't get them. That's, that's a possibility. Uh, but things like this. Job got into a lot of trouble because God was bragging about him. God and Satan were kind of together at one point, and, and God said, Hey, Satan, you seen my follower Job over here? Hey, look at that dude. He's awesome. I don't know. This is a paraphrase, okay? Uh, I'm not sure God's ever said dude. Uh, but he said, Hey, look at Job. Look how great he is. Look how he serves me. Look how wonderful he is to me. And Satan goes, Well, yeah, who wouldn't? You've blessed him so much, you've given him this whole big family, all these kids, you've given him all this stuff, all this cattle. I mean, this guy's rich. Well, who wouldn't bless you if you did that? But if I took it away from him, you'd see he'd, he'd curse you. And God said, oh, really? Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you try it? I'm going to let you take away everything he has, but don't touch his family. And so Satan does that, takes it all away. Job still blesses God. So they go through this a few more times. Job loses his whole family except for his wife, which I'm sure at one point he was willing to give her away because she turned on God to some point. In fact, she said, Job, look, things are going so bad, just curse God and die. <laughs> that was her, her theory. In fact, Satan even took away his health. The guy was sick as a dog, sat in ashes with just open wounds all over his body, and he still blessed God. And this is the reference that James is talking to. He's like, look, guys, you need to be steadfast like this guy. When things don't go like you like, you just trust God. When you lose a job that you really love, you just praise God and trust him. When things don't go quite right in your relationships, of course, <clears throat> do what you can to make them right, but also just trust God. When things don't go the way you want in an election or, or in the government, look, just trust God. He's still in control. He's still in control, folks. He's never lost control. Now, he does let things come into our lives 
because he wants to see us be persistent. He wants to see us steadfast. You know, it's interesting, uh, as, as Job's life went, got worse and worse and worse and worse from an outward perspective, God kept bragging about him. Hey, Satan, you took it all away. Look at him now. I, I, I pray for the day when I live at a level that God could brag on me. I, I pray for the day that I totally and completely trust him and follow him to the place where if Satan is around, he can go, hey, have you noticed my servant Michael? Look what he's doing. I just wanted you to see him. I don't think that's happened yet, but I still pray for it. I still long for it. But folks, we need to remain persistent. And the way you remain persistent is to stay connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ. First, you get connected by giving your life to him and accepting salvation from him. But then you stay connected through spending time in his word, uh, praying, being with other believers, uh, worshiping together, worshiping both alone and corporately, praying both alone and corporately. All of those things help us to remain persistent in following Christ. The last thing that James says for us, at least today, in, is in verse 12. He says, but above all, which is interesting because he's just told us a bunch of things. And then he says, hey, more important than all of that, above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, uh, some, uh, I, I think, use this verse and I think um, misuse this verse uh, to talk about profanity. Uh, I think the Bible talks about that in other places, to watch our language. Uh, because, of course, it's a reflection of who we are, as we've seen several times. But here he's specifically talking about always speak truthfully and honestly. Here's something that the Jews did back in here. and It was kind of a, a custom for them. They would say things and openly exaggerate the truth manipulate the truth, lie openly. But when you said, I, I swear this is true, then they go, oh, oh, no, oh, I swear by heaven that this is the truth. When they said that, it's like, oh, he really believes this is true now. I don't really trust much of what he says, but when he swears, that's when we know that he's telling the truth. What James is saying here is, guys, stop doing this. Just when you say yes, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't exaggerate the truth. Don't, don't lie. Don't try to manipulate the truth. Don't try to deceive people in the way that you communicate to them. Just be honest. You know what? If you're honest all the time, you don't have to say, oh, I, listen, I swear that that's the truth. Because everybody will just know that as you speak, that's the truth. You don't have to say those things. And so every time you say that, uh, uh, I swear by anything. And he says, don't even swear an oath. Don't swear an oath to anything or anybody. Okay? You know, you've heard people in movies, you've probably heard people, oh, I'd swear on a stack of Bibles, or I'd swear on my kids, or I'd swear. Listen, you don't have to swear in anything. You just always talk honestly. You just always be uh, transparent with people and not deceive them. And you don't have to do that. You don't have to elevate your speech above the normal speech when you're telling the truth. Because you're always telling the truth. And so he's just saying, guys, stop doing this. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. And then follow through. 
And so I want to encourage you, if you say those kind of things, uh, what you're doing when you say that is, what you're really telling people is, you can't really trust me most of the time, but this time you can. So when I tell you a bunch of other stuff and I don't swear, it's probably, it could or couldn't be true. I don't know, 50-50. But when I say this, you know for sure it's the truth. Okay, you don't have to do that, folks, if you just always speak the truth and you're always honest. Now, there's a lot of topics here. A lot of things. And as I, as I uh, f- finish you know, this sermon and kind of put it all together, and, and, and really what he's saying is these are the things that will help you really be well-grounded in your faith. They'll be well-grounded in your faith. Uh, if you don't let wealth uh, corrupt you, if you don't let your wealth take you away from the things that are important, you'll be better established. If you'll patiently wait for the Lord's return, and, and really focus on just establishing, not standing on a hilltop watching for him, but just being established in your faith, that will help you. Listen, if you don't criticize and judge others, your relationships are going to be better, and that will help establish you even further. Remain persistent in following Christ. That helps your, your, your establishment, in a sense. And always speak truthfully and honestly. That helps establish you as an honest person and as a follower of Jesus. Folks, he's saying here, listen, I know you guys are Christians already, because that's who he's writing to most of the time. What he's saying here is, folks, it's not enough to give your life to Jesus. It's not enough to know that you're going to heaven. It's not enough to have your sins forgiven. You need to live for him and establish your life in the principles of God so that you can be a benefit and fulfill who God made you to be. God did not make any of us to just be saved and get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. He saved us to be a vital and important part of his kingdom. He saved us, yes, to go to heaven, yes, to have a relationship with us, all those things, but also to use us now and to help us establish his kingdom on earth. And we can only do that if our lives are fully established in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these words from James. We thank you for the way that you are so patient with us, for your constant forgiveness. Father, especially today, I pray that you'll forgive us for the times that we have used our wealth uh, simply to fulfill our own lives and not to bless others and not to uh, just promote your kingdom, to, to expand your kingdom on this earth. God, help us to rearrange our lives in a way that would allow us to live with our hands more open and less closed. Father, help us as we uh, try to establish our lives to really be firmly established in you that we will reflect your son Jesus better all the time, that people see more of him and less of us all the time. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we just call on you now to help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.